Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to today's episode of Everyday Truth. So glad that you joined us. We are uh, talking about a an eventful time in Jesus' life where it just seems like every day things are getting more and more tense, and that's certainly the case in Jesus' final week of earthly ministry, because at the beginning of the week, things are as good as they can be. Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. By the end of the week, as far as people's attitudes are concerned, it's as bad as it can be. Crucify him and give us Barabbas and all the things that are just so heinous. So how does it go from so good to so bad? What are the increments? We've been talking a bit about that. Last episode, we talked about the fact that Jesus assumed messianic authority in the temple. How so? By casting out money changers. Uh, by upturning the tables of those that were buying and selling and uh, of the uh, those that were selling uh, doves. And remember, he said, this is not what the temple was for. This is not what the Bible says the temple should have been. This this is my father's house. This is to be a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. You've made it a den of thieves. You have transformed the temple into something that is the exact opposite of what God wanted it to be, a place where people can freely come to God. And you've made a place where you're stealing from others when they do come to God. So very uh, poignant is the message that Jesus preached, albeit short, in verse number 17, which brings us to Mark chapter 11 and verse number 18. Mark 11 and verse 18. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished, all the people was astonished at his doctrine. So what Jesus is doing, obviously, is causing a great stir. You can't overturn tables. You can't stop people from doing things. You can't upend the entire marketplace system of the temple without attracting attention. So why why is he not just arrested? Why don't the scribes and the Pharisees, why don't they just take him out right now? He's just one man. Uh, for, for their purposes, he's just a, 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 a peasant man from Galilee. I mean, why don't you just take care of this? Well, because they're afraid. Yeah, I think down deep, uh, they, they knew. He spoke as one that had authority. Uh, they knew that he had power. They, they've seen, they've witnessed, they're aware of the miracles that he has done. But more than that, they know that the people love him. The people are wowed by his doctrine. They're in awe and respectful of his courage. I mean, think about it. What the religious leaders have been doing all these years it has, has been so hard on the people, uh, these burdens that they're bearing, these exorbitant exchange rates that they're paying, 
that they, 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 the way they feel they can't measure up to the religious scruples of these leaders who have created all these loopholes for themselves. When Jesus comes and calls them out, when Jesus comes and acts upon it, there, there's something in the hearts of these people that just is a sense of relief. Finally, someone that's giving us real truth. Finally, someone that's standing up to what down deep in our hearts we know has been wrong. So the, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, they really want this to stop. Uh, they see their little system, their little gig, so, d- kind of sifting through their fingers, but they really can't do anything because Jesus retains a level of popularity and these leaders are afraid because they want to have control and they want to be popular. And they're seeing Jesus as a great opponent of all of that. Look at verse number 19. And when even was come, he went out of the city. So all of this, as we've talked about before, took place on Monday. So Jesus is casting out the money changers. He is... Uh, exercising authority. Uh, The religious leaders are at bay. They really aren't doing anything about it. And he's demonstrating very demonstrably that he is the one that has authority. His doctrine is the one that people are receiving. And the religious leaders don't really have any fruit for what they're doing, not any real fruit. All they're doing is manipulating and thieving and deceiving, and Jesus has called them on it. He has showed them, showed the people publicly who they really are. And that's a tough pill to swallow. So now the day is over. People don't stay in the city during feast times because there's just far too many people. Visitors typically stay outside of town in the neighboring villages or even camping out in some of the um, olive the, the, the some of the gardens, like the Garden of Gethsemane or some of the mountains, like Mount of Olives, people would stay out uh, 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 in the open air even sometimes. So watch what happens in verse number tw- uh, 19. And so when even was come, he went out of the city. So did he go camp out? Did he go back to Bethany? Well, look at verse number 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, So it would seem that he went back to his same place in Bethany. And remember remember the morning before when he had come from Bethany up over the crest of the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, he had seen a fig tree from afar off. Remember, we talked about this. And that fig tree was full of leaves, but it was nothing but leaves. We gave you the illustration that the, 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 the fig tree was really advertising that it had fruit, but it didn't. Jesus cursed that fig tree and the disciples heard him curse that fig tree. And even though that fig tree didn't wither in that moment, the disciples had heard the pronouncement of, the indictment of that fig tree. They had heard that. So now what have they seen in the day that has followed that indictment? Well, they've seen Jesus take on the, the temple trade. They've seen Jesus uh, rebuke the money changers and the sellers of turtle doves. He has seen Jesus stand boldly in the temple. They've seen Jesus do some things. And now it's one day later, 24 hours later. And the Bible says in verse number 20, in the morning, as they passed by, 
they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So that must have been a shock. Hey, trees don't die in one day. We've all seen trees that, that have died and they lose their leaves. And usually trees die in stages, you know, this branch or whatever. But this was a, this was a tree that one day before had all its leaves. So it was the picture of health. And yet the very next day, judgment has been rendered, the indictment has been made, and the tree is done. I mean, from the roots up, it this curse has taken place and it is dead. Now, what a striking visual that must have been for these disciples. Verse number 21, and Peter calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, yeah, look at this. The fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. So Peter speaks for everybody. It's kind of the elephant in the room. It said, look at this. Lord, the, the fig tree that you cursed, it's cursed. It's, it's withered. It's done. So this is the... Obviously, the fulfillment of what Jesus had said the day before. Remember, the, the, the pronouncement of judgment and the actual rendering of judgment sometimes takes time. Now, in this case, it, it happened quickly, but it did happen, happen afterward, but it happened surely. So when, when indictment has been made, when judgment has been rendered by God's word, it's only a matter of time before the indictment rendered or the judgment given will actually take effect. In this case, it was one day. But Jesus has something to say. Now that they have heard the judgment and they have seen the judgment, Jesus has something to say about the judgment. Look at verse number 22. Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. So I taught you this lesson. It's been a day long. For one reason, and that is I want you to have more confidence in, I want you to rely upon more heavily God. So what is the object of faith? God. God is the object of faith. And the character of God, the word of God, uh, that, that's where we put our faith. Faith must have an object. You can't just say, well, just have faith. That, that's, that's meaningless. No, faith in what? The, the object of faith is what's important. That's why the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So our faith must have a, a resource and the resource is God and his word. So have faith in God, trust God. Verse number 25, he gives some further clarification on that statement when he says, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he, which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So this was a common uh, hyperbole example that people used back in Bible days. They talk about that mountain being removed. It was uh, an idiom that they used in, um, the, among the Jews in those days. Like we would say today, an idiomatic expression we would use today is, if it's raining heavily, we, we might say, it's raining cats and dogs. Now, do we actually mean that there are Dalmatians and poodles and German shepherds uh, coming down out of heaven 
Of course not. We're just saying it's raining heavily. So be thou removed as a mountain, as Jesus actually saying, hey, you could tell a mountain to go over there and jump in the sea. No, the point is he's using a literary device and an idiomatic expression to say that big problems, big difficulties can be removed uh, by faith in God, according to God's purposes. So he's teaching us that we need to know God. We need to know the word of God. We need to know the character of God because as we have faith in who God is and what God wants and the direction God wants us to go, then that faith can move any mountain, any obstacle in our way as we are following what we know the Lord has for our life. So this is not just some kind of a random promise saying, well, you know, if you believe hard enough, then you'll get whatever you believe for. That's, that's mysticism. That, that's ridiculous. No, what the Bible is teaching is as we know our God, as we ascertain the character and purposes of our God, there's nothing that God cannot do or cannot change in concert with what God wants to accomplish in and through his people. And so therefore, what we need to do is have confidence in him, have faith in him. That's the point. And he uses that fig tree as an example of that. Look at verse number 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, for if ye have, for if ye have aught uh, against any. In other words, if, if ye have something against some, somebody, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So here, I think this is an extension of that message where Jesus is saying, have faith in God, but make sure that it's an authentic faith, that you're trusting God for who he is. So know who God is. Uh, Know something of his character. Uh, Know something of his word. Because the Bible says that when you do, then those desires of your heart will be his desires. When we delight ourselves also in the Lord, then he actually forms in us the desires of our heart. Uh, We desire the things that he wants. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So as we know the word of God and ascertain the will of God and the wants of God, the desires of God, and they become what I want, what he wants— then our prayers become powerful because our faith is not in some kind of a superficial thing, like we want to consume something upon our own lusts, as James said in James chapter 4, but no, we have a desire to do what he wants us to do. And there's great power in those prayers. Then the Bible says, and in those prayers, we pray authentically to say, Lord, we want your work to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we don't want anything to inhibit that. And sometimes what inhibits our prayers is the fact that we're not right with other people. So what God says is, and what Jesus says here is, so as you're praying and it occurs to you, hey, I'm not right with my brother. I'm not right with my spouse. I'm not right with my children. Make that right. Why? Because God God, God blesses those that have a pure and right heart with him. And the purpose of all prayer and all service on earth is to love God and love other people. 
So how can I be praying according to God's will and praying for the desires that God's placed in my heart if at the same time I'm harboring bitterness and ill will and malice toward other people? It doesn't work that way. So many times it's in our prayer that we hear the best. So as you're standing and praying and God brings things to your heart like this is not right in your life or this is not right with that person, Prayer is not only a great time to talk. Prayer is also a great time to listen. And sometimes when we pray, God is speaking to us about our own lives. And that's a time to stop and make that thing right and offer forgiveness because it's only as we are authentically understanding of the forgiveness God has given us that we then render it to other people. And a good indication that we understand our own forgiveness And a good indication that we have truly entered into the forgiveness of God is when we have that attitude toward others. And so I think forgiveness of others is both an indication of our true forgiveness in our salvation, but it's also an indication of the way we're walking with God in practical sanctification. That how can we expect for God to honor our prayers if we're neglecting the needs of others in our life? I think Peter speaks to that in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse, I think it's verse 7, when he says, and ye husbands dwell with them, the wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. How do I expect for God to honor my prayer when I'm not attentive to those that look to me for leadership? So there's a whole lot going on. I probably bit off more than I can chew for today. But um, anyway, I did. So we finished verse number 26. We're going to jump into verse number 27 next time. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.